Good morning, church. It's great to be with you. If we haven't met yet, glad you're here. My name's Ethan Magnus. I'm one of the pastors, and you're in the right place today. All right, today is a huge day, right? You're aware of this, right? Do you know why today is such a big day? You know, I know some of you are thinking it's because Love Month has started. I know it started yesterday. The service products began. We got service products all month long. Make sure you don't miss it. Love Month is here, but that's not it. Maybe it's because the men's breakfast is this Saturday, but that's not it. Uh, some of you, I know, are very aware of a football game being played later today. Uh, this is how out of touch with the world of sports. I had to Google this morning just to discover who was playing. That's how bad I am about this whole uh, sports thing. But that also is not a big deal. Maybe you're thinking, it's the final Sunday of our First Things First series. It's going to be amazing. And that's all true. And I hope it's a good sermon. But nope, that's not it either. It's, have you looked at today's date? Look at today's date. It's 02022020. Isn't that cool? Woo-hoo-hoo! Yeah, and just think, just think, in two years, we'll get to have 0222222202. No. 0222202022. That's what it'll be. It'll be awesome. I can't wait. Anyways, I don't know. I like those kinds of things. I'm not sure why. But anyways, um, we are finishing up our series, uh, First Things First. Uh, we've just been talking about kind of who we are as a church and who you are and what does God's Word teach us, trying to get to know each other a little bit. And, um, and it's an adaptation of our welcome class. And at the end of our welcome class, we always kind of stop and, and talk about this real uh, simple question. But it's a question that a lot of people don't know the answer to. And, and so today we're just going to do that. We're just going to talk about this super simple question. And, then, and if you already know the answer, well, praise God, you're ahead of the game. But if you don't know the answer, uh, I want to make sure you hear it today. And the, the simple question is just this. How do I follow Jesus? Like, how do I, especially the question, how do I begin following Jesus? Or if I'm already a follower of Jesus, how would I, how would I know, get some clarity on what my next step with Jesus might be? We're talking today about first steps and next steps. What does it mean for a person to take a first step with Jesus, and how do those first steps give me some idea of what my next step with Jesus might be? Be. And we're just going to talk through kind of a, a few, or kind of a, got five different things we're going to talk about that are, that are a part of taking your first step with Jesus. And I'll just, I just want to say, if you're not yet a follower of Christ, um, I, I just urge you to pay attention. This is what it might mean, the path you might walk to become a follower of Christ. And if you're already a follower of Christ, maybe the question you're going to be asking is this. How does that, that first step that I already took, how does that help me give me clarity about what my next step with Jesus is? might be. All right, here it is, the, the, the way you get started with Jesus. The first thing you've got to do is you've got to believe and, and put your faith, you've got to trust in Jesus. The Bible uses all these different words, but it, it, it all reflects the same root Greek concept of, of entrusting your life. The, the, the biblical concept of belief is less about cognitive assurance, like believing in something, and it's more about entrusting your life to, trusting someone. Ephesians 2 says this, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. That's this trust concept. This is not from yourselves. It's the gift from God. It's not by works so that no one can boast. Hebrews 11 says, Faith, trust, is confidence in what we hope for, assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. And in verse 6, Without faith, Without trust, it's impossible to please God. 
Because anyone who comes to him uh, must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly uh, seek him. I want to talk a little bit about what it means uh, to, to trust. Uh, it's important that we distinguish this from the concept of certainty. To trust in Jesus Christ doesn't mean you're certain about everything. It doesn't mean you don't have any more questions. It doesn't mean you're not confused. It, it, we, we sometimes act like trust and doubt are opposites, uh, but they aren't. You can actually trust God even while you have a few doubts mixed. Here, I got an example for you. So when I was a kid, uh, I was on a transatlantic flight, uh, and on the way back, we just hit crazy turbulence. I won't tell you about it in case you got a vacation planned. I don't want to make you scared. Uh, but, but for the next 25 years of my life, and even a little bit today, I was terrified of flying because of that experience. Just everything about the very nature of flying terrified me. And you know, we still, because my family traveled, I still had, occasionally had to get on planes, but it didn't matter how many more times I, I was on a plane. It didn't help my fear of flying. I was just terrified on it. I remember when I took high school physics and we had a chapter on the physics of flight. I read that chapter over and over and over again, hopefully that if I just understood it better, I could convince myself to no longer have doubts about airplanes. Uh, people would ask me, Ethan, if you're so afraid of flying, how can you keep flying places? I said, oh, well, that's easy. You just buy the tickets scared, and you pack scared, and you drive to the airport scared, and you stand in line scared, and you sit in the little gate scared, and you get on the plane scared, and you sit on the plane scared, and then the plane lands, and you're not scared anymore. It, it, my, it, there was no, something I could keep flying successfully, and it did nothing to make me less terrified of flying. And I would sit on the plane, and I would re go over the calculates of lift, the, you know, the calculations, the equations for lift and thrust and angle of attack, and I'd be like, I don't believe that these numbers add up. Like, we are not going to get off the ground, and if we do, we are going to quickly hit the first mountain we come to. You know what I'm saying? Um, but nevertheless, through all that time, I can prove that I trusted the science of flight. You know how I can prove it? You may know. I kept getting on airplanes. See, that's the thing. My trustedness to the airplane actually didn't, you know, wasn't the same as conflicting with my doubt. And it turns out, I can, I can prove, it doesn't matter how much you doubt whether or not airplanes work, that has no impact on whether or not it gets you where it's going. You can believe in airplanes, they'll either get you there or won't they go. You cannot believe in airplanes, they'll either get you there or won't get you there as long as you get on the airplane. And, and trusting Jesus is very similar. You can have doubts. Everybody does. I don't know anybody who doesn't have some questions every once in a while. God, are you really in control? Are you really at the, at the wheel, God? Real God, you really got a plan for this? The question of trust is, are you entrusted to Jesus Christ. There's this great story from the Gospel of Mark. Jesus meets a boy and his father. The boy is possessed by a violent demon. Jesus asks the boy father, how long has he been like this? Uh, from childhood, he answered. Uh, it's often thrown him into the water or the fire to kill him. But if you can do anything, Jesus, take pity on us and help us. I love Jesus' response. If you can? Uh, who are you talking to? Are you talking to the, some, you know, crackpot healer down the road? Did you just say, if you can, to Jesus Christ? That's my subtle translation. If you can, said Jesus, 
Everything is possible for the one who believes. And now the father's worried. If that's the test, if trust is the standard, he's worried. Listen to his answer. He says, I do believe. I do trust. I do think you can do it. You're just going to have to help me overcome all my unbelief and all my lack of trust and all my doubt and all my worry that maybe you can't. Here's what I love about this story. It's the next thing Jesus does is heal the boy. That's the next thing he does. Because trusting Jesus isn't about how much trust you have or how perfect your trust is or whether it's mixed in with any doubt. It's about where it's located. You put the little tiny bit of trust you have, the little tiny bit of mustard seed sized faith you've got, you attach that to Jesus and you're good. He says, if you trust in me, not how much you trust in me, but if you're trusted, put on me. And that's where following Jesus starts. All right, second thing, if you want to begin a life following Jesus, uh, first you trust and then you repent. The Bible uses lots of words for this. It says we submit to Christ's lordship or we follow in Christ's footsteps. But the most common word the Bible uses is this word repent. Now, we've sort of turned repent into kind of a religious word, uh, but it wasn't written as a religious word. It's just the old-fashioned word that means to turn around. It means you were walking this way, and you repent. You turn, and you walk a different way. And this concept shows up all the time in Scripture. Matthew 4, 17, uh, Jesus is just getting started. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. He's just saying, turn around. Uh, There's a new king in town. Acts chapter 2, the first big Christian sermon. uh, They preach about Jesus and his lordship and his sacrifice. And at the end of it, the people ask, what should we do? If all this is true, if Jesus is Lord and he died on a cross to save us from our sins, what should we do? And here's what Peter says. Well, each of you must turn around from your sins and turn to God. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In a letter to the church, the same Peter would write that God wants everyone to turn around. Here's what he says. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So if you're just wondering, what does God want for for you? Well, one of the things God wants for you is for you to turn uh, in a different direction from the one you would head on your own. Repentance is about lordship. It's about who is in charge of your life. Uh, I was hanging out Friday night uh, eating pizza, and in the midst of that, we got talking about repentance because we're super cool, and that's what we do. And, uh, and one of the people we had over to the house said this, said, repentance, lordship, it's, about, it's figuring out this truth, that there is a king. You got to figure this out, that there is a king who deserves your allegiance, and you would choose to defer to this king above anything that you could reason or understand. That's crazy big, right? That you would say, Jesus is in charge of me even before my own understanding is, even before my own reason is. So like if Jesus says one thing and that doesn't make sense to me, I'm still going to do the thing that Jesus says. And here's the thing. Repentance is not just part of our first step with Jesus. 
it's also, for many of us, it is, it's, our, it's always our next step. Because we get going our own way all the time. And we just got to acknowledge, wow, the way that Jesus wants to lead us is so very different from the way that we would lead ourselves or the way that the world would try to lead us, you know? My own heart and, and the world would teach me, if you have a little power, use it for yourself to make yourself great. And Jesus would say, actually, let's walk this way. If you have a little power, uh, pour it out for the sake of others to bless other people. And I would say, if you have a little money, uh, spend it on yourself or trying to make some more money. And Jesus said, well, make sure you look out for the poor and the stranger and the foreigner and the homeless and the orphan because the money I gave you is probably for them so that you would take care of them. And, 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 and I would say uh, that, that my sexual desires should be the, the chief guide of how I exercise my sexuality. And Jesus said, well, actually, I, I, I'm going to call you to discipline those desires radically on a very narrow path, and, and I want you to walk this way. And I would say my, my political party, once I've chosen one, well, the others must be fools and, and evil, and I can't associate with them. And Jesus says, well, actually, I need you to love everyone, even if you think they're your enemy, and I need you to pray for the very people that you disagree with. Think of all the ways that, that we're just headed this way, and Jesus just says, actually, I need you to walk the opposite direction. Like, that's really hard. But, but part of what it means to follow Jesus, and I'll be clear, repentance doesn't mean perfection, Okay. It doesn't mean you've got to get all this figured out and be heading 100% in the right direction before you make your first move toward Jesus. It just means that at the foundational level, you're ready to say this, Jesus, you're in charge now. And we'll figure out the details as we go, and there'll be days I run away, and there'll be days I rebel, but when I do that, I need you to come after me and turn me around again because I wander pretty quickly, you know. The Bible says we're like sheep wandering our own way. who need the shepherd to come turn us around and get us going back. So repentance may be your first step, or it may be your next step. Maybe you've already been a follower of Jesus, but you're just recognizing, oh my goodness, I've been kind of wandering my own way on something. It's time for me to turn around. We trust Jesus. We repent of following our own way, and then we confess our faith. Again, the Bible uses a handful of words to talk about this. It says we proclaim the truth that Jesus Christ is Lord, or we admit our sin. Confession just means this. Again, this becomes a super religious word. It's not a super religious concept. It's a real simple concept. Confession just means this, to tell the truth about yourself. That's all it means. So if you've committed a crime, you confess the crime by telling the truth about yourself. If you're a follower of Christ, you confess your faith by telling, saying, I'm a follower of Christ. If you're a sinner in need of repentance who needs to turn around, you confess your sin by just saying, oh my goodness, I've been going the wrong way. I need to go the right way. That's all confession is. It's just to tell the truth about yourself. Or Romans puts it this way. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's by believing, that's this trusting faith piece in your heart that you're made right with God. It's by confessing with your mouth that you're saved. James 5, therefore confess your sins one to, each, one to another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. See, there's meant to be a public dimension to following Christ. Uh, our culture teaches us that religion is meant to be kind of this private thing that we don't share. But in opposition to that, God's word teaches that actually uh, we are meant to confess both our faith 
and our sin. Isn't that crazy? Like, why both? Like, surely we can just stick with one, right? No, but it's both. And it's because we're meant to tell the truth about who we are. I am a Christ follower who often doesn't follow Christ. That's who I am. That's kind of crazy, but it's the best I got is I'm a Christ follower who often doesn't follow Christ, and I'm just going to keep trying to follow and keep failing to follow and just keep turning and keep confessing and keep trusting, and then and, 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 and that's kind of how you do it. And again, this is your first step, and it's your next step. Let me talk. Some of you uh, have a next step here, okay? Because it may be in, with your friends at school or in your workplace or with your family, you have gone like incognito mode with your faith. You don't talk about it. You don't say anything about it, you know? Um, I, I was talking with somebody a couple weeks ago. They'd made a big decision, and they, they had made the big decision by praying earnestly about it night after night after night and asking God just to give them peace. And then in the middle of their prayers, they just all of a sudden knew what they needed to do. So then the next day they were talking to a friend who knew they were trying to make this decision. The friend was not a Christ follower. And the friend asked him, so how did you figure it out? You know, what, what, were the, what, were the, what finally put it over the edge? And they said they told their friend, I don't know, you know. And that was a conversation. So that a couple days later, they worked up the nerve, and they said, you know, I didn't tell you the truth, and this is going to weird you out, but here's how I actually made the decision. I prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed, and then in the middle of the prayer, I just knew what I needed to do, and I think that was God's Holy Spirit telling me what to do, and so I'm going to do that, because I think that's what God wants me to do, and I know that's super weird, and I just freaked you out, but that's, how, that's the truth. That's what confession is. Confessing your faith is just telling the truth about who you are, and if you're making decisions based on what God's Word says, and people ask you, well, tell them. If you're going to church on Sunday morning and people say, what are you doing tomorrow? Tell them. And if you've fallen into sin and you need to turn from it, God's word says, find somebody you can trust and tell them. Tell the truth about who you are. That's all confession is. And, it, and it's part of the first step. It's how you get started with Jesus. But it's also, it's one of the next steps for a lot of us is we need to look for ways to tell the truth about who we are. All right. Number four, how do you get started with Jesus? Well, you got to begin. You've got to be born again, the Bible sometimes says, and often the Bible calls this, you've got to be baptized. You've got to be baptized. Here, again, that same first Christian sermon where at the end of the sermon the people asked Peter, what are we supposed to do? Uh, Peter replied, each of you should repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he goes on, the text tells us that right after that, the, the, the people came and they accepted the message. And 3,000 people were baptized on that day. Now, why does Peter give this instruction? Why the instruction to baptize? Well, it's because Jesus told him to. Matthew 28, Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and earth, therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey all that I've commanded you. That's the repent piece. And be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus said, when, you, when somebody is ready to follow me, you baptize them. Now, let me be clear. I'm very aware that baptism has become an area of great confusion in the life of God's global church. I know this. Uh, different churches practice baptism differently and teach different ideas about baptism. Uh, and, and so whenever somebody hears us talk about, uh, about baptism, there's always some tension. 
which is a shame because baptism was meant by God to be a, a source of great unity in God's church. Uh, but there, you might have some reasonable questions, and I don't have time to answer all of them, but you, you might have some, and let's, let's try a few of them. You, you might wonder, um, isn't baptism a work, right? Like it happens in water, in space, you know, somebody pushes you down. Like, isn't that a work? And the, God's Word says we're not saved by works. Well, I get that question. Because uh, baptism is physical in a way that trust and confession aren't physical. But actually, baptism is the least worky of them all. In fact, you'll notice it's be baptized. No one ever baptizes themselves. Somebody else plunges you under the water and pulls you back up. If you want to talk about work, try repentance. Now that's hard work. Some of y'all still you know, be doing working on it, okay? Oh, that's hard. That's work. But baptism is, is the symbol that, that work is not what saves us. Someone else washes us clean in baptism. We don't wash ourselves, and it reminds us that God is the one who saves. Or, or maybe uh, you would ask this question, uh, why do we do it by immersion, plunging somebody all the way under and lifting them up? Don't, don't other churches practice baptism in different ways? And absolutely, other churches do. Uh, around here, our answer is really simple. In fact, I wish I had a cooler answer for you than this. We practice immersion because that's what we see described in the Bible. Like, it's not more complicated than that. The word baptism means to dunk, so we dunk people. Uh, that, that's really the whole thing. It's what we see described in Scripture, and so we do it. If we saw it described in Scripture some other way, we'd do it that other way. But that's what we see described in Scripture. So uh, maybe, maybe your follow-up question is this. Oh, does that mean we feel all this judgment toward other Christians who do it different ways, like they're wrong or bad because they don't do baptism right? Well, no, of course not. We talked about this two or three weeks ago. We got no time to be criticizing other Christians and how they do things, we're just going to do what we do, which is read the Bible and try and do it the way we see described in the Bible. So, so if some other church is baptizing in a different way, we got no quarrel with them. That's, that's not, we don't got no time for that. We're just trying to tell people to invite people to follow Jesus and do what we see the Bible uh, describe. Uh, maybe, maybe I get this follow-up question sometimes. So uh, should we worry about whether or not somebody who grows up in some other tradition is, is saved because they weren't immersed? Maybe they grew up Presbyterian or Methodist and they were never immersed. And should we worry about their salvation? Well, no, of course not. Our God is crazy, super, super gracious. You know, God is not looking for reasons to kick people out of heaven. He's looking to welcome everyone with open arms. And, um, you know, and if, if they grew up in a tradition where they weren't taught, you know, to be immersed, then God isn't kicking people out. On the other hand, though, we're not going to apologize for reading the text and trying to obey it, which is really all we uh, know how to do. Because I will say, if your question is this, does God's word teach us that when we are ready to respond to the saving grace of God by trusting Christ for our salvation and turning from our own way to follow the way of Christ, when we're ready to do that, we should be baptized, immersed in water? Yes, I think that's exactly what God's word teaches. So although I got no time to judge anybody else, all I know how to do and all we know how to do as a church is do what we think God's word teaches. And I do think that if you trust Christ for your salvation and you have never been immersed, I think you should be immersed into Christ. I think that is the thing that God invites you to do. Look, look at Romans 6 with me. Don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of God the Father, we too might live a new life. 
Notice how Paul assumes a baptized church. He assumes that everybody in the Roman church has been baptized and baptized by immersion, buried with Christ and raised to life. Uh, Galatians 3 is similar. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have closed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Again, Paul assumes a baptized church. And so here at First Christian, we would just invite everyone who wants to begin a life following Christ uh, to be baptized. Uh, just Listen, I know you've got more questions, and this is an area of confusion and disagreement in the church. A couple things I could recommend. I did preach a whole sermon on baptism uh, in February 11th, 2018. You can go to our YouTube channel and find that sermon, or just meet with me. Just call a church. Let's go to lunch. I could talk about this. I'd love to talk about this all day, answer the questions you've got, and just see where we are together and discern what God's Word teaches together. I'm easy to get a hold of. You call the church office. They can schedule something for you real fast. So I'd love to meet with you and talk to you about baptism. All right, let's see where we are. Uh, Number one, trust. Entrust your life to Christ. And number two, repent. Just not, not that you're perfect, but that you've just said, I'm going to do my best to turn from following my own way to follow Christ's way. Confess. Declare the truth about yourself. I am a follower of Christ who needs a Savior. Number four, be baptized into Christ. Buried with Christ in the waters of baptism, raised to new life, because this is what Christ commands for those who want to follow him. And number five, Receive the gift of God's holy life, God's Holy Spirit in you. Here's what God promises. God promises that for those who have made a commitment to follow Jesus, God is with them. When you are baptized into Christ, God's Spirit dwells in you. God's life is your life. You are never forsaken and never alone. Look how Peter, remember that, that, that same answer Peter gives when they ask him, what should we do? Here's what he says. Each of you must repent of your sins, turn to God, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. John 14, Jesus says this, I will ask the Father, And he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He's the Holy Spirit who leads to all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. This is such a wonderful promise. You will never be an orphan. When through faith you are adopted into Christ's family, God is forever and eternally with you and God loves you. And God's life becomes your life, now eternal life. And God's spirit indwells your spirit. And one of the best things, really, I'll tell you, one of my favorite things about actually living life as a follower of Christ is learning to listen to and trust God's spirit. I love learning to follow the Holy Spirit. It's just one of the most fun things about life. I wish I had time to talk more about it. It's just awesome because God's Spirit is in you, and you will not be abandoned or made an orphan. So some of you, by going through all this, have clear some next steps you need to take. Maybe it's time for you to re-engage in trusting your life to Christ instead of yourself. 
or time for you to repent. You just realize, I've been kind of walking my way or the world's way on a few issues, and I need to turn around and walk a different way. Maybe it's time for you to confess, to admit the truth to some people, that you're a Christ follower and that, that you're a sinner saved by grace. Maybe it's time to be baptized because you've been following Jesus and trusting Jesus, and you, but you've never made the decision to be immersed in the waters of baptism as Christ commands and the church taught. I mean, you could do that. You could do that today. We've got a baptistry here. We baptize you today. Maybe it's time for you to take a first step. Maybe you sort of, you've been checking out this Christian thing for a while, learning from friends, visiting. Maybe you even grew up in the church, but you've never on your own accord said, that's it, I'm in. I am a follower of Christ. I trust him with my whole life. I, I follow his way, not my way. I'm ready to say it to the world. I'm ready to be baptized into Christ. If that's you today, later in the service, they'll, they'll talk about a thing. You can come up for prayer, and they'll also talk about how you could take some next steps with Christ. Come talk to somebody how to do that. You could begin that journey today, and we'd love to walk with you on that. Let me pray for you right now. God, I pray for all those here who need to take that first step with Jesus, that they would be ready to make that commitment, to declare their trust and repentance, to be baptized into Christ, washed clean, forgiven of their sins, and begin a life directed by the Holy Spirit. This is my prayer for your church. And for those who need a next step, God, I just pray that your spirit would make it clear what it is and that they would have the courage to take it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.